The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome everybody to episode 56 of the Ascent of Board Games. That's going to be a little bit different today. Jason is unfortunately not able to be with us due to various scheduling conflicts, but we do have a very special guest today. We're joined by Kyle Rowan, the design lead at Weird Games and the brains behind Vagrant Song, here to talk about that and some of the exciting new stuff that is coming up in their forthcoming Kickstarter. So Kyle, welcome to the show. Hey everybody. I'm going to start with the sort of obligatory history question, Kyle, which is how did you get started in the wonderful world of game design? Uh, sure. Yeah. So it really started when I was young, 12 years old or so, mm -hmm. making games I didn't really understand. <laughs> um, I made a play-by-post website back in the day before play-by-post was a term <laughs> to date myself a little bit. I remember sending in terms via postal mail with stamps on paper. It was exciting. <laughs> this was forum-based, so a little uh, after okay, that. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I am still the oldest. Got it. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of where it started. And, you know, just kind of got further into that. Initially, my interest was in video game design, so I went to school for that. I had a brief stint in the indie space, and after that, I jumped ship to the world of analog and started designing board games with Weird. Right. And you're pretty much, you've got your fingers in just about everything at Weird, right? You're involved in Malifaux design, as well as the various board games and other entities going on there. Yeah, at some level, I'm involved with every project, whether it's just kind of overseeing character design or making sure that we're all on the right page or editing. I'm dipping my toes into everything pretty much yeah. at some level. I mean, Weird's a fairly small company, so I guess everybody's got to pull on some ropes here and there. Right, exactly. How big is Weird? Smaller than you would think, based on the projects that we release. Prior to this year... There were really only two or three game designers at a single time. So this year, we actually bumped that up. There's now four individuals working on Malifaux alone. Then we've got an RPG designer and myself. So we've basically doubled in size <laughs> recently. But then we also have you know other people kind of steering the ship. Our producer, Kelly, the owner, Nathan, and our great customer service staff. So And the warehouse folks. But it's still not a giant company, you know? Yeah. Although the growth of additional game designers is exciting to me because as a big Malifaux fan and enjoying what you do, it sounds like there's more cool stuff coming, which I always appreciate. Oh, yeah. I can't talk about the of upcoming course. book just yet, but we've got some really neat stuff in that one. I would be surprised if you didn't. I will say, you mentioned character design earlier. I really appreciate the character aesthetics that show up in Malifaux a lot of the times. <laughs> Thank you. They are fairly unique as far as it goes with uh, RPGs and just world creation and, of course, miniatures games. The world itself allows us to kind of throw the kitchen sink along with everything because we pull from so many different inspirations and uh, somehow that ended up working and now we can kind of twist and bend and create silly things where we want to. So luckily that well hasn't run dry yet. We've still got plenty of ideas to get characters into that world. 
yeah, there's there's always so much character in each miniature, which I, I really appreciate. So Vagrant Song is a very how should I say it's a very specific concept. Yes. Where where did that come from? How did that idea start? So we were working on a dungeon crawler at the time. This is years ago. And it was fine. It was it was functional, it worked, but I was having trouble connecting to it, finding myself in this world. So we went back to the drawing board. I pitched about a dozen ideas, and Vagrant Song was kind of the Hail Mary idea out of, out of that handful. It's kind of a collection of things I'm obsessed about. Jack Kerouac books, On the Road, Dharma Bums, horror movies. At the time I pitched it, I had just recently finished a comic series called Harrow County, mm. which is delightful. So it was just kind of the the perfect storm of things going on in my life and pitched it and it was weird enough to get my boss's interest and three or four years later, here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's very striking. I'm trying to visualize the pitch meeting. It's like, okay, you've got these people who are on a train, but it's a ghost train. Uh, it's going through what might or might not be the afterlife or limbo. And it's just, I'm fascinated to see how it worked, but it definitely has worked. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that this is Weird's biggest board game success. Yeah, yeah. Strangely enough, when we were at Gen Con, uh, we got a few surprising comments of, uh, so does this company make anything else other than Vagrant Song? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Do you see the big glass cabinets full of miniatures? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, just, you know, 17 years of history, <laughs> just kind of forgotten or, you know, hidden right behind me at the time. No, no, so that was a pretty humbling moment to hear that from people. Well, I mean, there's your problem. You put it behind glass. Right, yes. <laughs> Where did the look come from as far as like the 30s cartoon? Was that pretty much baked in? or No, actually, that did not happen initially. We had worked on about three or four different aesthetics on Vagrant Song. The first, and maybe not the first, but the strongest one, the other contender, was kind of a wood-carved aesthetic. No. Hmm. <laughs> that dipped a little bit into Mike Mignola stuff from Hellboy, so like really harsh shadows. So sort of a Darkest Dungeon vibe. Yeah, a little bit, but more of um, the aim was to make it look a little chunky, mm -hmm. like, you know, a chisel's taken out some wood blocks, and that worked. We could have gone in that direction, and I think it would have been fine, but it didn't capture the... We were walking a tightrope when designing Vagrant Song. We wanted to make sure that it was both spooky and funny, and that aesthetic didn't really accomplish that. It definitely leaned more into the horror vibe of it. Mm -hmm. So at the time, my design partner, Matt, he just said, you know what, why don't we, why don't we try rubber hose? And um, we suggested that to our artist snippy and she just ran with it it was just entry after entry character after character so many of them she just hit on the first run and we just knew that that was it that was the style we were going to go with yeah because the the physical look of the game is gorgeous uh, it's interesting that style of art seems to be coming through a little bit of a renaissance lately between cuphead the video game and Frank, what was that other boss battler with Townsfolk Tussle? Townsfolk Tussle, yeah, which is around the same We got time. the Wilson Wolf escape puzzle thing mm -hmm. that of course we adore, but yeah. And there's the ink inky video game. I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, Unprepared. Uh, inky 
and it's like Mindy and the Ink Blob or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm bad at preparing for things, but uh, but yeah. So it's nice to see because that was a really distinct Bendy and the Ink Machine. That was it. There we go. Oh yeah. yeah. So it's really nice. I mean, I've always been a, a fan of that sort of aesthetic, and it's really cool to see it coming back or or getting a little bit of a resurgence. How did you all land on the acrylic standees? In a lot of ways, like I kind of think of Vagrant Song as like at the cusp of the wave of acrylic standees with gorgeous artwork on it being a thing that was done everywhere. I remember when Jason was not on the show today, he he got it at Gen Con when it originally released. He brought it back, and I'm like, man, these standees are gorgeous. And like now you have like Kinfire Chronicles, Kinfire Chronicles, and you have what what's the miniatures company name? Uh. The build your own one. I'm sorry. Oh, Hero Forge. Hero, Hero Forge. Forge. Hero Forge doing that as well. And I, I kind of think of Vader Song a little bit as like on the cusp of that. Yeah. So that came from after we decided on the rubber hose aesthetic. We started looking at all of the components and ways that we can make it feel two dimensional in a 3D space. We're obviously as a company known for our miniatures, but we wanted to do something that made this character art pop. A lot of the effects in our art is also translucent, transparent stuff. So having acrylic offer that on the table was kind of a no-brainer. It just we kind of knew pretty much right off the spot that like all of these other aspects of the design, it just worked better in that route. Of course we've talked about doing miniatures for Vagrant Song, but I I think it actually would do the aesthetic a disservice because of the two-dimensional aspect of the characters. Uh, the artwork is gorgeous, right? Like, it pops a lot. Like, I, I think when Jason bought it, I think the number one thing that drew him to the game initially, right, right, as he's walking by in Gen Con, was the artwork. I don't know. When you look at Townsfolk Tussle, which did go with the miniatures, I think you made the right choice there. I mean, there's are, the miniatures are great, but they don't really have the color vibrancy and immediacy that the Vagrant Song has, which I think is a wonderful thing. Yeah, and that animation style is fundamentally a 2D medium, so it actually works yeah. better. I was very surprised when I first heard it, because I'm like, where does a miniatures company? But like you say, I think it was the right choice. Who knows? I mean, we are still coming out with one mini. Mm. Well, not so many mini. <laughs> one of our iconic lines, I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah. Oh, well, but... I am. I don't know about our listeners, but... <laughs> <laughs> They're large-scale miniatures that you can paint and kind of put on your shelf, and we're doing that for Mako Joe. So (laughs) for the players that have asked us for miniatures, we're making a little bit of a compromise. He's too big to be playable, unless you just kind of ignore the spaces on the board, I guess. But (laughs) he will come with playable junk cards in there. So, I mean, we are a minis company, you know, Mm -hmm. where it makes sense. We like to celebrate that sort of stuff, but yeah, I, I agree that I think the game as a whole is better with the standees. For sure. Now, is that one going to be a pre-assembled mini or one that we put together? Uh, I believe our Iconics are partially pre-assembled. Okay. I'd have to double check that, actually. I'm not 100% sure on Mako Joe's structure. I haven't had it in front of me myself yet. I've only seen you know the digital files of that one. So I only ask because I know Weird has come a long way in their miniatures, but my formative experience is that tiny little mustache going on a goblin. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Or a cigar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. I, 
I think we've taken strides in oh, the last yeah. few years. Most <laughs> yes, certainly. The recent editions are a lot better. <laughs> I mean, they've still got the great look, but they're a lot more manageable for my old fat fingers to assemble. You just never forget your first mustache going on a goblin. <laughs> so is the Mako Joe, is that going to be part of the new Kickstarter? That one's actually going directly to retail. Okay. So you can get that in September, or it'll be available as an add-on either through our Kickstarter or on our website as well. So that's going to be available everywhere. Okay, sounds good. So speaking of the Kickstarter, it looks pretty exciting. Let me start by having you give us an overview of what's in there. I mean, we have some notes, but for the the listeners out there who may not know what's coming, let's give them a, a nickel tour. Sure. Yeah. So the core game of Vagrant Song comes with 23 scenarios in the game. Encore, which is the name of the big expansion that we're doing for Kickstarter. One of two expansions, I should say. That one's going to have another 18 in there. So lots and lots of content to explore. And the way that that content kind of gets split up is there's going to be a new chapter. The core game is split up into these chapter chunks, and you get to choose the path or the order in which you partake in those. So we're adding a fourth chapter called The Bridge of Leaves. That one's going to have another five scenarios in it. We're also doing what we're calling Save Your Soul scenarios, which if your character goes westbound one too many times, your friends are going to have to save them from the pull of the train. So you're going to experience kind of a deep dive into each character's story that way. When they're down and out, you get to lift them back up sort of thing. We're also doing a new game mode called Short Trip Mode so that you can play the campaign in chapter-sized chunks with each chapter having its own new beginning and new ending scenarios and uh, all sorts of other little bells and whistles and doodads and knickknacks in there. Ways to mitigate your dice rolls, ways to get more actions, things that are going to hurt you a whole lot more. (laughs) Yeah, we filled up Encore to the brim with basically a bunch of things that we wanted to include in the core game, but either didn't have time to, or there wasn't room for, or just wasn't the right choice at that given time. And then a bunch of new ideas along the way. And then we also have Off the Rails, which is another expansion coming to Kickstarter as well. And it's both hard mode and replayability mode. (laughs) Basically, it refreshes every scenario in some way. You're going to have new events to explore, some rules tweaks that you might not expect, a new paint action through a new rummage token that players get to use as well called the Poison Berry. And then also we're doing in Off the Rails an objective system. Each player is going to have a deck of devious deed cards that you're going to get from DC or Demon Cat. And these objectives are going to be performed per scenario. Uh, And once you complete one of these devious deeds a number of times, you're going to flip over that card and gain some level of customization for your character that is unique to you whether it's an adjustment to your passive, some sort of new trigger based on elements that kind of play out, maybe more humanity, and that sort of thing. Okay. So it sounds like you've basically got... Encore is basically sort of extending out the campaign, whereas Off the Rails is more like variability within the existing scenarios? Exactly. Yep. (laughs) I think the thing I'm most excited about is that short trip mode. We played through Vagrant Song all at once, and I'm not going to lie, by the end of it, I was like, 
That was a lot. <laughs> sure. But being able to take it into just like, here is this chapter, I feel like would be a, I really want that bite size. Like we're in, we're doing it and we're done. Yeah. So I'm really excited for that. Yeah, and that came from, we get a lot of feedback about the length of the game, for one. And one thing that players really wanted was kind of this one-shot scenario sort of thing with Vagrant Song. But the structure of our chapters, without spoiling too much, there's usually an element or two that kind of brings back a certain character or some sort of element from a previous scenario. We couldn't quite accomplish all of that, so that's where short trip mode came to be. Hmm. And what's kind of neat about short trip mode is that it's also going to have, each one of these is going to have a new in-between deck that rather than being structured numerically and being resolved that way, these are random now. So that's going to add another level of replayability is even that little wrinkle of that one in-between effect that might impact you in one scenario, but might not in another, might help or hinder your experience. And then there's also going to be some, you know, rules tweaks to playing the game in a shortened format. You're going to have to deal with your junk cards in a different light, for example. So, yeah, I'm really excited about short trip mode, too. So where did the inspiration for the in-between stories come from? They're so dreamlike and fascinating and almost disconnected from everything else. How did you guys arrive at that being a component of the game originally? That was actually really early on. So when I pitched the game... I'd say about 60% of that pitch ended up sticking, and the in-between deck was one of them. We didn't know quite the order that they were going to be resolved, but that came from after we figured out that the campaign is going to be modular-ish in how you complete it, where you could do ABC, BAC, so on. We wanted the in-between deck to happen in the same order so that, depending on the scenario that you're playing, this could impact it in a different way. I'd like to blame a video game called Kentucky Route Zero for the (laughs) in-between deck. Sure, sure. Which is a very dreamy type of game where the choices don't feel like you're making significant choices in the way that they're not like impacting the story. Mm Mm-hmm. They're more impacting yourself. They're introspective choices. And that's kind of where the design kind of led with the in-between cards, that you're reflecting upon yourself or what you're seeing rather than making huge sweeping changes to the world around you. It's always good to hear like Kentucky Route Zero referenced. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that game is so good. That game broke me. (laughs) I'm just glad that uh, you all knew the game. Half the time I mention it, and uh, nobody has any idea what the heck I'm talking about. So I talked Mike <laughs> into streaming it on his Twitch channel for a while, and it was a, a fascinating exploration of Mike's tolerance for weirdness. I played it <laughs> totally blind, too, for better or worse. It's really the only way you should play that game, ultimately. <sighs> oh, yeah. So, Kyle, what was the idea? Because I I seem to remember that originally this was being billed as an expansion, and then it kind of got broken out into the two different pieces. Can you talk a little bit about the reasoning behind that? Is it just a logistics thing? No, it actually came from playtester feedback. You're right, Encore and Off the Rails were originally part of one giant expansion. And, I mean, we've been developing both of these for maybe about a year and three months now. So they've been in development for a while. 
And relatively early on during playtesting, we got feedback from several different groups of players and player types and what people want from an expansion. And some people wanted more scenarios. Some people wanted just to revisit the same ones with new ways. And there were a few instances where those player groups did not overlap. Certainly there was overlap with some groups, but we saw that there was differences in what players want out of more stuff. So what we ended up doing is splitting up that expansion so that we could accommodate as many player types as possible. Makes perfect sense. And is there any chance, I know it's not in the list of stuff so far, is there any chance that we may see any new Vagrants coming along, maybe as stretch goals or something like that? Not with Vagrants. Um, So Vagrant design in this game is a unique challenge in that there needs to, not to spoil too much, but there are specific moments in the game where you get Vagrant-specific skills. And providing a 7th or 8th character is something that we certainly could do, but in doing so breaks the the structure a little bit. So rather than make new characters, we decided to deep dive into those characters instead to uh, provide a little bit more context and backstory to them. Who knows, down the line, you know, I've got certainly a 100 pages of notes of how we could do it. <laughs> so I don't want to, you know, close any doors just yet, but in Encore and Off the Rails, there won't be any new playable vagrants. Plenty of new haints, mm-hmm. even haints that are not a part of a scenario per se, that are going to have some unique wrinkles into the campaign. You'll see that sort of thing. But yeah, no new vagrants. More complicated than it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> so the Bridge of Leaves chapter that you're adding in, is this purely an extension of the game, or is this something that can be incorporated into a normal campaign? Yeah, you can add it to the normal campaign. Basically, all those door in-between cards, we're adding a fourth door Mm -hmm. to choose from. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, there's also going to be an extra scenario between chapters. That's where Slagpile Annie, a character that we've recently revealed, that's how you're going to find her, is in between these new chapters. So yeah, you can absolutely do that. Excellent. That almost seems a a game that we like to play on the computers across the obelisk, and they seem to have a a similar philosophy of like, our game is going to consist of these chapters, but then the order and method in which you play them can be randomized and mixed and matched for different gaming experiences. That's always nice for uh, replayability. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the game. I'll have to check that out. Oh, yeah. It's a Slay the Spire multiplayer Oh, builder. okay. Yeah, With a fixed world, and oh, yeah. It's, it's good. It's, it's real yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely check it out. Very good. Yeah. yeah. You had my interest that Slay the Spire. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it was at this point that technical issues meant we lost a few minutes of conversation with Kyle. The main revelation during this point was just confirmation that the bonus scenario, the Walton Brothers and the Fox Sisters scenario, will be available as add-ons in the Kickstarter as will a stuffy of DC the Demon Cat, along with a bunch of other neat things. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and ask for Brian and Jason. <laughs> so you mentioned in the notes that you gave to us some uh, unluck mitigation. How how would one go about? What can you tell us about mitigating those the, the poor luck? Jason and I are very bad at dice. 
Sure. Yeah. So there's two methods of it. The primary method are the smoky buns. And you're going to be earning those through junk. I'm sorry. That just sounds like a barbecue joint <laughs> and it makes me really hungry. I know. And you're going to be earning these through junk cards, in-between effects, scenarios, the pretty much anything where you could previously earn something. Smoky bones are going to be found there. And what you can do with those smoky bones is if you performed a skill or action that didn't go your way, any number of successes or failures, you can take the smoky bones that you have already on your Vagrant card. You could roll those and add the values to your failed rolls. And there's a series of numbers. It's mostly ones and twos to increase your chances of success. But there are the skull icons, which you want to avoid at all costs. Those are going to make your smoky bones zeros. But then there's on the other side of that, there are the music notes, which are going to give you two automatic successes, regardless of where you were at with your uh, previous roles. So a little bit of risk and reward there. Okay, so this is basically another way for me to roll skulls, so I'm looking <laughs> forward to that. And then on top of that, there are the generic coins that you can earn pretty much the same way, junk cards in between scenarios, that sort of thing. And these are, think of them as temporary coins. You pretty much have to use them quickly or they go away, but they're going to give you more towards the action economy of the game, working the same way as rabbit's feet and uh, normal coins. So you can get up to essentially five, six, seven coins on a single skill if you ended up wow. holding on and timing certain things right. And I see there's also a reference here to baggage cards, which I think is a great name. That sound like sort of temporary disadvantages or complications? Yeah, so Vagrant Song isn't hard enough, so we decided to add <laughs> more complication uh, to players. And baggage cards you're going to earn through bad things that happen to you. I won't spoil where those come from just yet. But if you get one, it's going to go on your Vagrant card. It's going to temporarily replace your passive effect. So while you have a baggage card, all your booming boxcars on your Empress are ignored, for example. Think of it as a long-term haint effect that can linger from scenario to scenario if you choose to ignore it. And these are pretty swingy in what they do. You're going to be drawing a random baggage card that's going to affect you. And they're going to make you think a little bit differently about what you can or should accomplish in the game. But just like Haint Effects, each one of these baggage cards is going to have a specific way as to how they get removed. So hopefully you don't get them, but mm -hmm. <laughs> if you do, there are ways to, to get rid of them. Now, are those removed through things that you do in gameplay or like in between scenarios or both? Usually during a scenario itself. Okay. Like get four successes on a skill or something like that. Oof. Okay. Yeah, they're brutal, but you can get rid of them. <laughs> you said hopefully we don't get them, but then all of that design work will go to waste. So right, we don't exactly. So in the back of my head, I'm like, please get them. <laughs> <laughs> now, are these different elements like the smoky bones and the baggage cars and the devious deeds? Is that kind of like a modular put in what you like, or is it kind of you want to include those all as a package? Smoky Bones and Generic Coins are just going to be an auto-opt-in when you start playing Encore. And then the next layer of options there is what game mode you're going to be playing. You can play Short Trip mode, you can play the Standard Campaign, 
or you could layer in off the rails into both of those different versions. The save your soul scenarios, those are a lever that you can turn on or off. You don't have to go down that road if you don't want to, but I don't see why you wouldn't want to. Who wouldn't want to figure out what's going on with the runaway, you know? And you are going to get something pretty sweet if you do complete one of those scenarios. So, okay. So, is it worth it then for going westbound a little bit too much to get yourself to have a save your soul scenario? I mean, that's kind of already an aspect of the core game. I don't want to spoil yeah, too true. much, but sometimes when bad things go your way, certain bad guys pick you up. So, yeah, we've continued down that theme a little bit more with the Save Your Soul stuff. I remember we avoided going westbound like the plague. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds it bad. all the time. <laughs> Fair enough. So, speaking of the vagrants, you know, and I understand that I'm now asking you to pick your favorite child, but do you have a favorite of the vagrants, either from like a design or an aesthetic standpoint? I know I'm not supposed to, but yes, uh, the, the songsmith is usually the character I end up picking up first. I can see that. Yeah, that's the one I'm drawn to because I actually used to play the banjo. Yeah, and that's <laughs> uh, I want to play the banjo. I bought one and, you know, I've plucked a few strings and my wife has complained plenty. So uh, <laughs> it's one of those things, one of those hobbies that I'd love to pick up. But yeah, I've always loved music. There's a bunch of musical references in this game, for example. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, no, he was one of the main characters right off the bat that I knew that we wanted to create. Nice. So, yeah, Songsmith got a soft spot for him. I love the Empress, mostly because I love any reference to Emperor Norton the First, and so the sure. cats, I enjoyed yeah. the heck out of that. Just because of that low-key reference. <laughs> really nice. <laughs> I think you might enjoy her Save Your Soul scenario. That's one of my favorites, so. Excellent. <laughs> cool. So... Kind of moving into the off-the-rails, I mean, we said earlier that that kind of adds variety to the existing play. What are some of the ways that it does that? So each scenario in either the core game or Encore is going to have an off-the-rails card. That card's going to have additional setup, maybe some rules adjustments, at least one poisonberry action for the enemy, sometimes two based on their moods or number of enemies. And then on the other side of the card is going to be at least one event, usually two. We're calling these events X and Y. And these are going to add certain complications, maybe certain escalating moments in the game. Mm. Maybe certain ways of thinking about a puzzle in a different light, maybe a different obstacle and that sort of thing. So each scenario is going to be different, just like we designed each scenario to play very differently. So the levers that we were able to pull and buttons we were able to manipulate changes from scenario to scenario. I would say off the rails makes the game harder, but there are also moments where you're going to be rewarded for that difficulty. So, okay, I was going to ask, do these off the rail cards come with a reward for this increased difficulty? <laughs> Certain events, I don't want to spoil too much, but if you do decide to push yourself, sometimes you will get rewarded for that. And then in addition to that, just playing off the rails will give you those Devious Deeds cards. And mm -hmm. those, think of them as kind of personal rituals that you can perform. They're going to give you other objectives and make you think about the scenarios a little bit differently. And getting that further player customization is going to be 
super rewarding, I, I hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's nice about those adjustments is that you're never going to temporarily lose them like the way you do with a junk card or skill. They're always going to be a part of you. Hmm. Interesting. So while we were talking about the individual characters, I did want to bring something up that you may have heard us mention in our review and discussion of the base game. There is one character, the Runaway, which for whatever reason has, I think the way Mike put it is, People have said, oh, this is a character with a cute dog. I want to play this character. And they just have not been excited about the game. And then they play a different character and they love it. So Hmm. I don't know. I haven't played The Runaway, so I can't really speak to it. But I just, is there any talk of like rebalancing or adjustments? Or have you heard that from anybody else? Or is it just us? I do think that she requires a different way of thinking about the game than some other characters. I mean... Sharing humanity does complicate things a little bit, but there are strengths to that character that you might not see at surface level. Being able to do two things on two different sides of the board, her gumption skill might be the most powerful skill in the game, and you get that right off the bat, but it does take positioning. She's certainly going to get more skills along the way, but I'm personally pretty happy with how the runaway works. It's I would think that that boils down to gameplay preferences. Like players who want the more explosive random element could go towards the Empress. Players who want to resource manage could go towards the Wayfarer. Players who want the glass melee cannon can go towards the Curse Bearer and so on. So, so Mike, what I'm hearing is get good. <laughs> well, you know... <laughs> I was pretty harsh on the dog character when we reviewed it, only because I think that character is probably best suited for not a first playthrough of the game because of that kind of splitting of their actions. I think if I went back and played it now that we've gone through the campaign, I'd probably have a better time with it. I'd have to try it. I think that's a fair criticism. You know, even when we demo the game, we do put the runaway aside because of that next step in learning. All these other characters, you can understand how they function right off the bat. But the runaway does take that next step of Mm -hmm. complication for sure. So I could appreciate that. Yeah, because I switched to, oh, who did I become after that? I think it was the Songsmith. And I had a much more enjoyable time. Thing watching myself and my dog get punched in the face. (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of the reasons why we made it so that it was very easy to switch between characters because, Mm -hmm. and why there's six characters instead of just four. So that fourth player never felt like they got stuck with the last option. Yeah. So ultimately, I think it boils down to player preferences. But my wife, who playtested the entire core game for me, she played the runaway from beginning to end and loved it. So that's just how she plays. If we're playing, you know, D&D, she's the ranger with the bear, you know. So she prefers the pet characters. So yeah. And again, it has those excellent standees that have the really evocative artwork on them, so <laughs> it's real easy to grow attached to a specific character. Sure. So Kyle, when is the Kickstarter plan to open up? We're aiming for mid-September. Okay. So a couple weeks after we release this. Which scares me every time I say it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you got this. This is 
Now, because I know not everyone is as sanguine about doing crowdfunding stuff as I am. I've spent way, way too much money on Kickstarter. Is the game design more or less done at this point? Yeah, so like I said, we've been working on this for more than a year at this point. And right now, all I'm doing is fine-tuning the systems, the scenarios, making tweaks based on player feedback, and designing a few other, you know, bells and whistles, that sort of thing that will be going into the campaign. But one thing that we're really aiming for with Kickstarter is to make sure that our backers aren't waiting a year or two for it. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to more or less, once the Kickstarter is done, to hit the print button. It might not be like same day, but hopefully within a week or two of wrapping things up that we can send everything to production. So that's that's what we're aiming for. So, so that's a long tail of six months. Yeah. Depending on, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it depends on, like, our production is... That's out of our most. hands sometimes, you know? Yeah, sure, totally. But yeah, that's that's what we're aiming for. So Yeah, cool. What landed you all on doing Kickstarter for this as opposed to some other motion forward? Uh, I think it came from us learning to, you know, say we don't know what the player base looks like at this point. <laughs> it's impossible for us to anticipate because of two factors. Vagrant Song took off in a way that we didn't anticipate right off the bat, and it is an expansion. So we do understand that not everyone wants that extra content, so why not let the backers let us know? So it allows us to make some smarter decisions in that way. And then on top of that, we want to do really fun things with the game that is a little bit more difficult when you take a traditional retail route. There are a handful of stretch goals, for example, that I don't think we would have been able to accomplish if it wasn't for a crowdfunding platform. For example, we're doing, this is a little bit of spoiler territory and hopefully. Ooh, exclusives. My boss doesn't get too upset. <laughs> but we're doing a haint plushie of one of our standard blue ghosts. And it's actually going to be a dice bag. So at the bottom of the ghost is going to have oh. a zipper and we're going to have glow in the dark bones in there. So that's going to be something that you can get as a stretch goal. And not something that we could normally create, you know, yeah. w- without a lot of resources. So, yeah, economies of scale are a thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're, we've got a handful of other neat things that I swear, if I reveal any more, I'm uh, <laughs> all right. All <laughs> that right. might not be the design lead Fair too much enough. longer. So, Fair enough. <laughs> all right, then keep your secrets. So it's not like running a Kickstarter and designing two full expansions and all the other stuff you do at Weird isn't keeping you busy, but is there any other stuff coming in the future that you want to drop any hints about? Or Oh, I mean, sure. We've got another Malifaux book coming out. I have not been a part of the design of it outside of characters, but what's exciting if you're a longtime Malifaux player is that Leading the charge is Justin, who was the mm-hmm. developer for a good chunk of second edition. And by a good chunk, I mean the vast majority of it. <laughs> right. So it's in very good hands. We've got some really neat characters that are going to be coming out in that book. The story conclusion to the Burning Man saga in the Malifaux stories is going to be upcoming. We just released the book for The Other Side. And the Kimon and Three Kingdoms allegiances are going to be coming out in a brand new plastic, I might add, that is awesome and not bendy at all, I promise. I... 
it's night and day difference. It really is. Very cool. We're always working on more Through the Breach content. We just recently released the Ten Thunders Through the Breach expansion book called From Shadows. Best faction. It has my favorite stupid, silly thing in any of our books, and that's the real estate option. Just being able to buy a house in the slums is Mm. just absurd, but is also a lot of fun. And we're working on some stuff behind the scenes that I can't talk about with Through the Breach. Sure. But we've got more content coming the way. Awesome. And with the new expanded design roster, and with the success of Vagrant Song, can you say if you guys are planning to sort of go deeper into the board games? Because those have historically mostly been just kind of some one-offs, and some of them have been quite good. But, I mean, is this going to become more of a focus for Weird, do you think? I can't give you any specifics, but what I will say is I'm not done yet. So, <laughs> Kevin, I've got good probably a hundred ideas. More realistically, about a handful that we're tossing around right now, trying to see what the next big project for me is. But yeah, I'm going to keep making board games for Weird until they tell me to stop. So, <laughs> excellent. As a gamer, is there anything you've been playing or drawn to, or do you even get time to play games that aren't yours playtesting? You know that drill. You definitely do look at games in a different light as a designer. I tend to look at things in a more analytical lens than just being able to fully immerse or escape in a game. But Baldur's Gate did come out, and... Mm Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think we're all in that trap. <laughs> I was going to start this episode by saying, oh, I don't want to talk about Vagrant Song. Can we talk about Baldur's Gate? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm still in Act 1. I'm playing a campaign with my wife. We're, we're taking it slow and steady. Really only able to dedicate like an hour or two every other night. But I love the experience. I am generally not the type of role player who speaks positively about Dungeons and Dragons, but this has revitalized my interest in that space a little bit more. I think mainly because it takes away a lot of the crunch Mm -hmm. and just gives you the occasional D20 for flair. And I think that that just is a perfect balance for me personally. When it comes to RPGs, I generally lean into the narrative first space. Probably don't have enough time for me to just speak about Blades in the Dark, but I could talk for hours and hours and hours. I am a big fan of Blades in the Dark. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We're RPGers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I just recently backed. I don't know how crunchy it's going to be. I actually don't even know anything about the system, but eat the Reich. I cannot wait. (laughs) That Uh, looks like uh, it's going to be hilarious. Yeah. I know. That one looks simple. I did that in Dolmenwood. So, yeah. It's coming from a designer that made one of the like more complex worlds that I've ever dipped into, and that's Spire and Heart. I love those games oh, so much. I, yep. I have not gotten to play or run them yet, and I really want to. Yes, it's really interesting to see a slimmed-down approach from them. So I'm really stoked about that one. Now, just speaking of Blades in the Dark, have you seen any of the stuff that's been posted on about Blades in 68? What? Uh, I saw the map, but no, I haven't dipped my toes into that too much. Honestly, as much as I want to experience all the forged stuff, I'm mm-hmm. still kind of a purist. Sure. I'm not done with the core experience of Blade in the Dark yet. No, no, that's fine. That book is, despite how small it is, it's still packed with so much content. There's a lot going on in there. Yeah. But Frank, I heard your what back there. Blades in 68 is 
So if Blades in the Dark is Dishonored, Blades in 68 is Deathloop. (laughs) It's like 100 years forward into the equivalent of the 1960s in Duskfall. I'll send you a link to it. It looks ridiculous and great. I hadn't heard that comparison. (laughs) And that is how Brian gets a point. (laughs) <laughs> you can't yeah. buy it yet so i can't get a point ah that is true that is mm-hmm. true he's safe ah damn it we have a regular blades in the dark game and we've been texting a lot about it because it all the aesthetics that are coming out of it look really good so mm-hmm. yeah so kyle if people want to follow what you're doing other than jumping on the kickstarter as soon as it's available and i think there's like a pre-register or like a Notify tell me when this win. launches yeah yeah, yeah. So we'll certainly put that link in the show notes. Where should people find and or follow you on the internets? I mean, that's a good question with kind of social media destroying itself in the moment. I guess you could find me on Twitter slash X slash whatever it's called next week. My tag there is Roanoke, R-W-A-N-O-A-K-E. I'm on the Blue Sky stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to find stuff about Vagrant Song, at this point, just Google Vagrant Song Kickstarter. You'll find pretty much every little bit of information on the Weird Games website or on Kickstarter itself, where you can get notified when we go live. Very cool. I think we've hit all of our major points so. here. Yeah. Okay. Anything you can think of, Kyle, that we've missed? What I will say is I'll give you another little spoiler that's fun. If you're a fan of DC, our demon cat in Vagrant Song, if you play short trip mode, you're going to get him as a summonable character, and he's going to be playable and help you all out because the new antagonist in short trip mode is destroying what he finds very important. So he's going to be helping you more this time around. Interesting. Actually, that does kind of excite me because I know that DC was kind of the narrator in between missions and he'd had like the recap at the end but mm-hmm. i would really love to get more of like his whole what was what's going on here <laughs> so that's exciting yeah i'm anxious to see more of it mm-hmm. totally all right well with that i guess we will wrap it up here kyle thank you for your time Good luck with the Kickstarter and assorted other projects that are going on. Thank you. Hopefully down the road when, you know, there's the next generation of stuff coming out, we can get you back on the show to talk more about RPGs or board games or other randomness. Yeah, anytime. Even if I'm not, like, promoting something. If you just want to talk about RPGs or, you know, the next (laughs) board game hotness, I'm here. I'm a fanboy as much as anybody else, so. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We will wrap it up there, and we will talk to you next month. Bye. 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 We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. Well, and I think that the, um, oh gosh, what was I going to say? I don't know. It's totally slipped my mind now.